I'm Nora McInerney, and this is Terrible. Thanks for asking. And this is Gigi. Yes, thank you for having me. I'm excited. Gigi is a person who does things, who goes to things. Like me, I'm a person who goes to bed early every night. That's a place, right? Gigi is everywhere. If you go out in Minneapolis to First Avenue, to the drag brunches, to any concert, you're going to see Gigi. I stand out in my crowd of friends and pretty much anywhere because I'm a tall, loud, outspoken Black woman. And I really, really, really embraced every part of me. Like, I I wanted to be seen. So one day, a few years ago, Gigi was at a concert. It's this big yearly event here in Minneapolis called Rock the Garden. It's produced with uh, our sister station, The Current, which you can stream online. It's a great indie music station. Anyways, it's big and loud like concerts usually are. Uh, And I yawned and my face, I felt a crack. And I noticed swelling on the side of my face before, but I thought maybe my face was just getting fat. (laughs) Maybe I was gaining weight. And so I yawned and I heard a crack. And I was like, that's weird. And it didn't hurt, but it was also weird to hear crack like that. At like a concert yeah, where you're like... I just, I, all I did was yawn. Now, it's just a yawn and a crack. But of course, it's not just a yawn and a crack. It's a warning sign. Gigi is... The queen of Minneapolis Twitter. That is a thing we have here in Minneapolis. Twitter is like a small town within Minneapolis where everyone knows each other. I really don't know if that exists in other places, but it's very real here. And Gigi, or O-M-G-I-G-I, get it? O-M-G-G? It's a good handle. Gigi is a centerpiece of that scene. And that's actually a pretty incredible thing because Gigi isn't from here. She was born and raised in Atlanta, which maybe doesn't seem like a big deal, but Minneapolis is a hard place to move to. We're kind of notorious for it, actually, for being a place that is Minnesota nice, which basically means we'll be nice to you. But we made all of our friends in middle school or high school, and that's enough for us. Gigi, though, moved here after college, and if you follow her on social media, you can see she did not have a hard time making friends. If you follow her on social media, you'll see her hot takes on pop culture and politics, and you will see her. You'll see tons of photos of her, most of them taken by her friend Darren. Yeah, I love the ones where I'm looking off, like, to the side, like, profile shots, because I feel like I have a nice profile. Um, I love photos where they're very, like, casual, like, I'm not really posing, I'm just being me. I love when we're at the events that we do together, like for, you know, various stuff around the cities and he'll need to test the light and I'll just, you know, he'll be like, Gigi, take a photo. And it'll be a very casual photo of me just standing there and I'll have my phone in my hand because I'm not expecting it. He just needs to test the light. And he's just such a great photographer that, you know, it's just very natural for him to like catch me like and as me, as, you know, how I how I want to be, like, portrayed and stuff. I mean, it it makes me feel good. There are lots of photos of Gigi romping all over town. Photos that are posed, photos that are candid, photos that are all beautifully lit. Photos that are just 
beautiful. You may know her face, but you would not know the story of her face. You may see photos, but you would not know why there are so many. You may think, oh, this this lady loves herself. Or even, huh, I mean, a little full of herself. It's my Minnesota. It's my Minnesota accent. But you wouldn't know why loving herself and loving how she looks is so meaningful to her. So being at that concert, hearing that crack, that's not the first time that Gigi has felt something in her face. Back in middle school, she'd had a little cyst removed from her jaw, and it wasn't a big deal. They just scooped it out. That is an evocative and kind of gross image, but I said it. What Gigi remembers about that cyst and its scooping is that her mom was so nervous. But middle school Gigi wasn't nervous. Middle school Gigi was concerned about the important stuff. You know, <laughs> when the minute he said it, he's like, you know, we don't want you in PE because we don't want like things like flying at your face. And I'm thinking like clues and I'm like, well, balls fly at my face, you know? There goes your social life. Yes. And I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, oh my God, I get to skip PE. This is great. I don't have to have PE. I have a free period. What? And so, you know, it was like on one hand, you're thinking this isn't going to affect my life. On the other hand, you're like, wow, I actually have this thing in my in my face. So it was very about small, and they just scooped it out. See, they scooped it out. (laughs) Keep saying it. What Gigi had was called an amelioblastoma. It's a benign tumor, which means it's not cancer. How much had that surgery, you know, impacted your day-to-day life? Never. It never left us. That that was the whole thing. There was nothing like visible that showed that that happened. It was literally cut open in my jaw, scooped it out. And that was it. So for a while, until she was almost done with college, that was it. That was it until Gigi started to notice some jaw pain. It hurt like a toothache would, so I would take a little ibuprofen, but it didn't hurt. It didn't ache like, oh, I need help right now. It, it never, it wasn't like this painful thing. It was kind of like there. It was an annoyance more than anything. What annoyed me most and what actually got me to the doctor was the fact that it was growing so big and it looked like a softball. It looked like I had a giant, like, what do you call those things? Jawbreaker in my mouth at all times. If you're thinking, how did you not notice a jawbreaker in your mouth? I mean, college is a real special time, isn't it? I mean, I had mono for so long that my liver almost failed, and I did not notice. So Gigi does notice the jawbreaker, but she's in college, so she just works with it. Like, I knew my angles. Like, when I took photos of my girlfriends, I, you know, I knew um, I didn't like to eat on that side of my face because it would hurt a little bit. I knew to stay away from crunchier foods because um, I didn't like the way it felt on that side of my mouth. Gigi does eventually go to her doctor, and he sends her to a specialist, and that specialist says to her, Hey, remember that amelioblastoma from middle school? It's back. That's what the jawbreaker is, by the way. It's that amelioblastoma, which is so big that the doctor is surprised that Gigi can even talk. 
And this time, it's not going to be as simple as it was the first time, back when they just scooped it out. This solution is going to be way more intense. The doctor starts telling her, Okay, so we're going to have to um, remove some of your teeth on the bottom because we're basically taking out that whole tumor, that entire part of your jaw, and we're going to replace it with your fibula, make you a brand new jaw. And I'm thinking, oh, okay, so this is going to be a couple of surgeries? No, one surgery. So the doctor was going to remove a part of Gigi's jaw and then use a part of her fibula, which is your shin bone, to make a new jaw. That is not just a big surgery. That's also a big recovery. I was going to be in the hospital two weeks. I was going to be in a medically induced coma for a few days after the removal. I I didn't think of all these things. I was just like, yeah, I'm just going to go get this done. Gigi just wanted to get it over with. She just wanted the tumor out so she could move on with her life. The surgery was 14 hours long. And when Gigi woke up from the medically induced coma, her family was there. And so was her new face. There was a mirror in there by the sink and I could see my face and I didn't look like me. I was swollen. I looked like that kid from The Mask, that mask movie with Cher. I, I was like, so, I and you know, like, of course I care about how I look. I mean, I'm, I was like, you know, around 21. So I, I mean, the bone, the new bone that was in my face, that made they made me a new jaw was settling in. The teeth, um, you really can tell I, I didn't have teeth. Like right now, I still don't have those teeth. Gigi was 21. Now that the surgery was over and the tumor was out, she just wanted to get on with her life. She wanted to finish school, get a job, and be a grown-up already. So she told her doctors, speed it all up. All the physical therapy, the emotional therapy, all of it. For her face and for her leg which was still healing. Gigi quickly went from a walker to a cane, but not just any cane. It was leopard print. I was so happy. I used the cane for a little bit. And um, I felt good. And my rehab, I, I did it and I got it done. So when I graduated in 2011, I accepted a job up here in Minneapolis I knew I was going to, like, be, like, a star. Because, like, within the first two weeks there, I got my first promotion. And that felt good. Because my mom was like, I can't, oh, Gigi, are you sure? Are you, it's so cold up there. And did you see that video of that ice falling into that dome? And I was like, no, I mean, my mom is just no. And then when I got here and I'm, like, literally crying, walking to a bus stop, then I realized I shouldn't have, like, been so, you know, like that. You were probably at a bus stop wearing, like, cute shoes and, like, a fashion jacket. Like, you're like, oh, this is like a fall jacket. No. Like, Minnesota is no place to be cute at all. Like, winter, we're like, buckle in. Okay, buckle into your snowsuit. Like, oh, my gosh, when you go to Uptown, you see, like, these girls and you're like, put your pants back on. You are outside. <laughs> it is not, this is not a city to try to, like, go to a club wearing oh a gosh. dress. Ever. That's, okay. That's hilarious because I learned very quick to keep my cute shoes at my desk and then go to work in my boots. Gigi worked in customer service at a big retailer here in Minneapolis, and she was really good at her job. I mean, obviously, she was promoted after two weeks. And she was really good at Minneapolis. 
She made friends and built a following here on social media. She was offered another job with more responsibility, and she took it. And I remember that day very vividly because I had some mini corn dogs, and I felt really good about that day. <laughs> like at lunch, because I was like, wow, we had mini corn dogs at lunch? This is a great day. And then I gave him my two weeks. Gigi was basically the black Mary Tyler Moore throwing her beret in the air. She made it after all. I'm, I'm doing great. I'm feeling good. I'm, like you mentioned, queen of Minneapolis. <laughs> I'm having a, a great, a more like work-life balance and I'm able to do what I want. Go to the concerts I want to go to. Go to the festivals and be where I want to be. Volunteer where I want to be. I'm able to, you know, put my energy into a lot of things and that don't just concern work. Gigi is a glamorous woman. She has great makeup. Again, follow her for all the finds she uncovers at Marshalls and TJ Maxx. Amazing hair. Outfits that are always on point. I love experimenting with my style and my hair. My clothes. My accessories. My makeup. My nails. Any kind of expression. I love thinking outside the box of what I want to, like, be how I want folks to perceive me. You notice Gigi. You don't notice her scars right away, but she's aware of them. The scar on my face healed nicely and it is visible. It's behind my ear and under my neck and it's visible. I would get a lot of questions about it because at the time I had shorter hair and I wore it behind my ear. I was very self-conscious about the scar on my leg. It is huge. I never wore shorts or skirts or dresses for that reason. So that outdoor concert, four years had passed since Gigi got out of college, since her last surgery. When Gigi felt that crack in her face, she knew it wasn't good. And she's a grown-up, a grown-up who has already been through two facial surgeries, so she knows that the responsible thing to do is to go see a doctor right away. She goes to an ENT here in Minneapolis who has all her records, and he takes a look. You know, I've read about your history and everything, and I, you know, would like to do a biopsy if you don't mind. And it wasn't like a biopsy where they had to check me in and I had to have actual surgery biopsy. He just did it in the room and got a sample and everything. Um, they cut open where my surgery was before. Got a few samples right up in there in, the, in my lower jaw area. And I felt good about it, you know, because um, nobody's saying anything different. They're not calling it anything because they don't know. So far... No big deal. Gigi goes back a week later. And he says, Gigi, you know, I do want to confirm for you. It, it is your amyloblastoma. It is. It has come back. And it's more aggressive than it was before. And I was like, um, you're wrong because they took that out. So redo the test. Got to be something else. And he was like, no, this is a very, very aggressive form. He was like, it's literally behind your eye. He was like, it's literally eaten away at that side of the face. It's behind your eye, behind your nose. So four years after I moved here, I'd gone on with my life for four years, like this new life in Minneapolis, and, and here it was again. I, it was hard to... In the moment, you're thinking, oh, why is it back? You know, in my head, I'm thinking, but why couldn't they get it all? And the way it was explained to me is they took out what they could see. 
you know? And these little cells they leave behind, they're super aggressive and they can be, you can't get all of them all the time. Those cells had grown and multiplied and were now, as the doctor put it, eating Gigi's face. What would that tumor have done the second time if it had continued to grow? It would have gone behind my eye and I could have been blind behind my eye, behind my left eye. So when they did the surgery, they were like, yeah, you know, if we um, go so far in, you might be blind on that side. And I was like, oh, okay, well, you know, whatever, I got another eye. She sounds cool here, casual, not too worried. But I mean, when someone tells you that your entire face is being eaten by a tumor, a tumor that could have blinded you or killed you, I actually worried about this tumor every single day. This time, my anxiety was peaked. You know what I mean? Like, I was like, it's back again. What if this doesn't work? Or what if it comes back and, you know, they call it a mutation. What if it comes back and mutates as cancer? And then it kills me. Or what if it takes over the right side of my face and I have nerve damage over there? I'm just going to be walking around, like, with half a face, you know? After big moments like this, when you think the world should stop, it doesn't. There's always something mundane that you have to do, like go get gas, pick up milk, go to work, which is where Gigi has to go. The day after finding out that a tumor she thought was gone forever is now back and bigger than ever, Gigi had to sit down at her same desk, answer the phone, and help people with their computer problems. Okay, well, may I log on to your computer with you and see what's going on, you know? And this man's, like, yelling at me about, like, the Photos app. And I'm like, I literally, like, I just was like, all right, all right, hold on. And I just transferred him. And I, like, um, went on FaceTime with my boss, and I was like, look, I, I can't do this. Like, I can't talk to these people about their their iPhones or whatever while I'm dealing with, like, a tumor in my face. And she was like, excuse me, what? And I was like, yeah, I'm not feeling very well. I had a panic attack the other day, and I'm probably going to snap on a customer in a minute. So I'm going to take a half day. Bye. Gigi's job offered amazing benefits, so she took medical leave to prepare for her surgery because this was her third time and she knew just how serious it was. There were a lot more what-ifs this time, though. The size and location of the tumor made this surgery even bigger than the others. They were talking about how they were going to do the surgery, and uh, they were like, all right, so we're going to have to shave the side of your, left side of your, your head, cut from there, do another cut under your jaw again and so I'd be like half-faced and they would take it off and I'd be like that's really cool and all but I mean you mean you're gonna shave my head like I mean you know it's really it's really awful
We'll be back. And we're back. It's scary medically to know that somebody is going to remove half your face to get to a tumor. And it's scary also superficially. I don't mean that it's a shallow concern how you look. I mean, I mean that the concern about how you will look is very real and very valid. What do you do? when you might lose your face as you know it. Before the surgery, I said, I'm taking a ton of pictures of myself now because I don't know what I'm going to look like after. I've seen many of these photos. They're all so beautiful. Gigi looks regal, stately. Even when the setting is just a grimy music venue in downtown Minneapolis, she gazes directly at the camera. She owns it. And then it's time. Gigi goes home to Georgia to her mother, Beverly, and her aunts and her uncles. She gets the hospital gown, the head shave, the whole thing. She goes under. And 24 hours later, she's back in her hospital bed. Seeing myself in the mirror in the, in the hospital, like the big one, um, when I could finally turn my body toward it, they were getting me up to walk around. And so I wasn't, like, confined to the bed all day. And I looked up, and I saw myself, and I saw my eye was completely swollen shut, my right, my left eye. Um, I could see my entire lip was completely swollen because one of the incisions went through my lip. Um, The side of my nose was completely flared. It was red because they cut alongside of my nose. My jaw was like, it literally looked worse than when I had the abscess and the tumor in there before because it was so swollen from the trauma. And then my chest, like where my trach was, there was still a hole there. That's like, you know, when they said tracheotomy, I honestly didn't know what they meant. I was like, okay, whatever. Like, I mean, whatever you got to do to get this out of my face, I'm fine. But like, I didn't know it was literally that wind thing. Like, I, I that didn't connect for me. And they always had to keep putting the the little tube back in through my nose and my, you know, my feeding tube because I couldn't eat for weeks either. So that was really traumatic to see like that actual hole there. And um, it like seeing all that, I kept thinking, how am I going to look normal again? Because this looks awful. Yeah. (laughs) Like, you know, it was really tough to like see that. But I, um, it, it was awful. It was not a good feeling at all. I, I did not feel beautiful. I didn't feel good because it. I, I was hurting. But then on top of that, I felt like I looked terrible. And I remember crying and I couldn't catch my breath when I was crying because I had that trait. So it was like, it was really awful. And I felt like that for a very long time. So here's the thing. You're supposed to be happy to just have your health. You're supposed to be happy to be alive. You're supposed to be happy that someone was able to treat you and that it wasn't cancer and that you will live. You are not, in a moment like this, supposed to care about how you look. But why is that? For months, Gigi stayed at her mother's house, trying to heal and trying to hide away from the world. What were your days like? Gosh, 
it was like I would get up, I went to therapy once a week, um, and then I had physical therapy once a week, and then I would come home. It literally all day I would just sit in my bed, maybe read, be on on the internet, on Tumblr or something, just to distract myself, watch TV all day. Um, I would be shopping like all day. My, my mom was like, "What are you doing? You literally are not working right now. What? <laughs> what?" <laughs> um, I would just, you know, keep myself occupied with things. They weren't healthy coping mechanisms at all. Like nothing I was doing was. I mean, I considered it self care or whatever, but it really wasn't. It was really destructive. It wasn't good. They were like stepping on eggshells around me because I was a mess, yeah. and I feel like I had to get out of that situation. Because it wasn't helping me or them for me to keep doing that. And while it's nice to have my support system, I don't feel like being under my mom's wing and having her baby me and my aunt and my uncles and my grandpa babying me was helping me get anything done. You know? No offense, Beverly. (laughs) Beverly, I disagree with this sentence. (laughs) (laughs) She knows. I love my mom so much, but I mean, I've told you this before. It was getting way, like, it was getting very gray gardens in there like it was my mom and I I love her to death but we are not meant to live together like that the entire time Gigi is on medical leave she's living in Georgia and still paying rent on her apartment in Minneapolis she tells her mom one day she's going back to Minneapolis to check on her apartment she did not want me coming here at all she was like very against it but She let me come. Back in Minneapolis, Gigi does check on her apartment. She also sees her friends. And she sees Beyonce. Not like one-on-one in a transformative moment, but in a transformative moment in a stadium with tens of thousands of other fans. For the first time in a long time, Gigi was back in her city, back in her element, doing what she always did before a big show getting ready. I remember feeling really good. I remember feeling like myself. Um, I remember putting so much thought and energy into what I was wearing. What did you wear? I wore the prettiest uh, dress. It was just a black dress. And then I made myself, I bought a flower crown from Claire's and some plastic lemons. And I, and I glued, hot glued lemons on the crown. It was almost like I wasn't sick. It was like... Um, being like myself again, we did what we always did. I felt good. Like that night was an incredible night for me. It made me feel like myself. It felt good. Even if Gigi was still recovering from that surgery, even if she had new scars and new pains. I remember like looking at myself in the mirror and I was still very swollen, obviously, and still getting over things, but I just... I felt like this was life. And honestly, all these scars I had on my face and all this all this swelling and everything, that was, I mean, all that was just like symbolism of like me surviving. And so then when we got to the show, I knew she did a Prince cover and um, it was the, the beautiful ones. And so... Oh, 
it was kind of great and it made me and that's also one of those songs that also makes me feel like really good it's a really you know sad sick love song but it makes you feel really good um because you can be like so much in love with yourself that you are love sick The story does not end with Beyonce. Beyonce is a part of the story, as she always should be. I had no idea what Gigi had been through or gone through until she told me. It was sometime when my husband Aaron had brain cancer. He had had two brain surgeries to take his brain tumor out, and it was a scary time for me. I can't remember precisely what Gigi said, but it was something about how she had also had a tumor, but it wasn't as big a deal because it wasn't cancer. But, like, yes, it is a big deal. We've talked on the show before about comparison and how it is useless and tends to just rob us of our humanity. About how it's a way of downplaying what has happened to us, and it's weird and gross, and also we all do it. And so does Gigi. On the one hand, you'll hear her say things like, oh, I was being a brat. And then you'll hear her say, Gigi, you're healthy and you're very privileged and you're very lucky. And she's all of the above. I mean that lovingly. More than one thing can be true. And it is. It always is. It's true that Gigi is lucky. She's lucky that her tumors were benign and not cancerous, that she had great medical care, that she lived, and that she's happy about that. And it's true that she has suffered and will likely suffer again. That tumor, the one that always leaves a few cells behind, can come back. And even if it doesn't turn into a tumor again, she still lives with the effects of those first three surgeries. What will be the long-term effects of having amyloblastoma? Well, I have no feeling on the left side of my face. I won't get that bad. That's just nerve damage permanently. Um, if it comes back again and hits another nerve, um, if they remove it, I could essentially lose all that feeling. You know? Those things that sound superficial when we're talking about beauty, things like lip fillers or Botox, they're usually referred to as cosmetic procedures. They aren't actually just cosmetic for Gigi. They're things that she needs. The lip fillers that make my lip not look caved in, the Botox to kind of freeze the nerves so they kind of stay in place and make my lip not look droop. Also, they give me the muscle relaxers that help me sleep because I can't sleep ever at night. I can't sleep on one side. I can't sleep on the other. I can't relax. Um, I have chronic pain, tightness in my face all the time. I am, you know, sick at the drop of a hat. Like, I'll be having a great Saturday, take a nap, wake up from my nap, and I'm in excruciating pain. And it's a pain I can't describe. And then I'll have to cancel plans. Um... And I and then um, just it's just it's odd and it's and it's not consistent. That's the main thing. It's true that Gigi loves makeup and glam, but she isn't ashamed of her scars. 
I don't go out of my way to cover them. I don't color correct. You can still see my scars through my makeup. I never am concealing them, but I do love like the one I, I mentioned above my cupid's bow. I do have a little scar there. I put a little highlight there. They bring attention to it. They're going to be there forever. I'm never going to have surgery to remove them. For all the surgeries that I have had to smooth things out, the cosmetic ones anyway, to smooth things out, to inject essentially what is plastic into my lips um, and Botox here and there and little pokes, prods or whatever. For all those cosmetic surgeries that I've had, I never, ever, ever have even considered having the scar removed or the scar hidden or something. Again, anyone who wouldn't be sad about their face being taken apart and sewn back together is lying. Like, absolutely lying. Of course that would make you sad because our faces are important. So is internal beauty, yes, but also we are still a society that prizes external beauty. I mean... People Magazine is not making an issue called the 50 most beautiful people on the inside. And I participate in the beauty economy. I love it. I love my hair extensions, eyelash extensions. I love makeup tutorials on YouTube. I also realize that talking about beauty and beauty standards really does not mean a lot coming from a tall, thin white woman with a reasonably attractive face. But beauty standards are real, and they do impact women who aren't tall, thin, white women differently. I think that we're so conditioned to, like, hate ourselves because everybody, like, no, especially, like, with, um, like, with young women of color, especially, like, young black women, we're conditioned to hate ourselves. Like, we're told, like, nobody loves us or, you know, just little systematic things that happen, like, through our childhood You know, even from, like, the little thing, like, dolls, like, you know, little brown dolls. Nobody gets those. You want a white one because they're pretty and they're beautiful. Well, what's wrong with the black one? You know what I mean? They're conditioning us as a kid. And so I feel like it's really, like, a revolutionary act to, like, flat out say, I love myself no matter how I look. You know, I might not be this size. I might not look this way. I have flaws and all. And I still love myself. A fun fact about Gigi is that her name isn't really Gigi. Gigi is a nickname. When Gigi was born in Atlanta in the mid-80s, her mother named her Gorgeous. It's what nearly every mother thinks about their child. I say nearly because if you ask me, both the kids who came out of me, not gorgeous, looked like weird worms for a while. But Gigi was gorgeous, so her mother, Beverly, made that her official name, right there on the birth certificate. Gorgeous is kind of a name that comes with pressure, right? It feels like one of those names that you're required to grow into, like being named Honor, or Charity, or Prudence. And Gorgeous grew into that name. Not just like, oh, she looks good, she's gorgeous, good job but also that she knows she looks good because Gigi loves herself. And to me, that is very rare and very rad. And I am here for it because self-love is the one that is so often the hardest to come by. And then if you do come by it, it's very easily 
dismissed or derided? Is it vanity? I mean, it better not be vanity. Is it narcissism? We can love ourselves, but if we love our looks, we somehow become suspect. We're not supposed to be too concerned with what we look like or too pleased with what we look like, lest we cross that line, that invisible, ever-moving line. And Gigi says, F that. She loves herself, and she loves what she looks like. That's not small or superficial or silly. Like, that's a huge, like, revolutionary act. People, it's 2018. You would think it's okay for someone to say that and people not be so, wow, congratulations. Like, are you serious right now? Like, why is this such a mindfuck? Like, I love myself. I'm sorry. Like, I don't need your, you know, approval to do that. You know, I've done it myself, (laughs) so. I'm Nora McNerney, and this has been Terrible. Thanks for asking. And thanks for listening, I gotta say. That's pretty cool of you. Our senior producer is Hans Buto. (laughs) Our senior producer is Hans Buto. But what if Hans Buto had a YouTube? Would it be the Hans Butube? Time will tell. Our assistant producer is Marcel Malikibu. He, uh, we don't have any jokes about him yet, but they're coming. Our project manager is Hannah Meacock-Ross. Our intern is Emma Martins. She fetched me a great cup of tea. I'm giving her the full intern experience, okay? I like cup of tea. Not too hot, not too cool. What is this? Poured it out on her feet. I'm just kidding. What is this? Call this tea? This is just dirty water. Um, Megan Oglesby was a wonderful help with this episode, so thank you, Megan. I got a book recommendation for you to coordinate with this episode, something that I do um, when I remember to. How about? It's kind of an oldie, but a very goodie. It's called Autobiography of a Face by Lucy Greeley. It's really, really excellent. You can follow Gigi at O-M-G-I-G-I on Twitter and Instagram. Our theme music is by Joffrey Wilson of Just Post Bellum. We are a production of APM. I have a concussion. <laughs> I literally forgot what APM stands for. APM. APM. The Association of Purple. <laughs> Can't think of more that starts with M. None. None. What, what would start with M? Association of Purple Mongooses. (laughs) Is a mongoose a snake, by the way? It eats snakes. Okay. I always thought it was a snake. Well, more about that later. We are a production of APM, American Public Media. Good job, Nora. Oh, my head hurts. (laughs) 